welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your bookworm of a host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and even mice. I am joined today by author Jackie Sonnenberg. Jackie comes from a journalism background, having written for multiple Chicago area newspapers, such as the Daily Herald, the Chicago Tribune, and the News Sun. She now makes her home in Orlando, Florida, where she is surrounded by imagination that inspires her every day in her writing. She has a collection of books that delve into the supernatural that includes The Little Dog Laughed, The Lamb Was Sure to Go, My Soul to Keep. And on April 28th of 2022, she released the most recent book, Mice, about a dark magic that hides in the darkest parts of the cornfields. With also a background as a haunted house actor, Jackie uses her skills in character development to come up with dynamic characters and backstories for both her books and the attraction settings. She is known for making original costumes of her original characters and introducing readers to her books in the best way possible by introducing them to the characters at conventions where she can be seen promoting her books and interacting with people as the very characters of her work. So please come join me within the mist as we get to know more about the work and the author, Jackie Sonnenberg. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad that you could make it. But before we begin, I am looking forward to talking to you about your latest book and Scarecrows. But I was wondering if you were aware that a Scarecrow actually once won a Nobel Prize. Oh, really? Do tell. Yeah, it seems he was outstanding in his field. Oh, wow. Oh, I'll bet. <laughs> I, I try to be amusing. I fail a lot, but I do try. <laughs> now, you began writing for newspapers. And what brought that on as a career choice for you? Well, it started in school, just, you know, taking your, your basic generic English and writing classes. Um, uh, there was a journalism class that we took in high school, and I still don't really know how this happened. Um, but the teacher pulled me aside after class and asked me if I wanted to write for the paper. And I thought she meant the school paper. She meant the actual paper. So when I was in high school, I had a column in the local paper that ran monthly, and it was about community events and things that were happening within the school. Um, I went to a very small high school, but they had a lot of involvement in the community and various things happening on weekends. So they wanted me to cover specific events like they did book drives and they did things for for community centers. They did things for senior citizen centers and whatnot. So they had me write articles for the paper. That's amazing and quite a accomplishment for high school level. Yeah. And then after that, um, fast forward to college, when that was over with in college, I had an internship at the local paper when I was about, um, I think it was a junior year or senior year. I had an internship at the local paper and I was there for about a month, month or so, mm -hmm. and just um, writing feature articles. I was in the features department. And so I would cover local events there as well. Now, you did this for quite some time and gained a great deal of experience. But then you moved beyond newspapers to start writing your own fictional works, starting with 
Was it All That Glitters in 2013, your first book? That was my first fiction book, yes. Um, but let's go back to journalism for a minute here, because sure. my first books that came out were actually nonfiction. These were ref reference research titles. So while I was, I was a journalist, I was considered a stringer for the most part, which is the same as saying a freelancer. So I would go online and get various works, various gigs for different papers. So I was looking for different assignments. There was this website. I don't know if it still exists. It was called journalismjobs.org. So I'd find a lot of freelance work there. And I saw a publisher, Atlantic Publishing, actually post looking for people to write reference research books. And, you know, like an idiot, I signed up for it and said, yeah, of course, I am a journalist. I would be happy to write a research book for you. I'd be happy to be one of these people. And it was a list of all like business topics and, and you know, things that are, of course, reference research materials for area professionals. And they just sent me the list. And I said, I said, just pick a topic. I don't care as long as it's not like quantum physics or anything ridiculous. So, so my first actual book was how to invest in real estate by paying with pay, by paying little or no taxes. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a real estate. I know, I don't know anything about real estate. And to this day, I don't know the difference between a SEP or Roth IRA, but I wrote this sucker. <laughs> I had, they sent out research books and I conducted my own case studies and I wrote a book on a topic I don't know too much about, but that's where research comes into play. That's where being a journalist comes into play. It was like writing a really, really, really long research paper for school. You know, you, you absorb all the information, you take it all in, you vomit it out and you forget about it. <laughs> Wow. So how many of these uh, research books have you written? There are three. So one okay. is on real estate. Another one is on business. And probably the, the one that I get the, the most credit for that people see and they ask me about is how to raise your puppy in a cat family. And that one was, of course, a little bit more enjoyable to do. And I know a thing or two about pets growing up as a, you know, a pet sitter, you know, summer jobs. So that one was fun. That one was fun. That's great. And actually, that one I did see on Amazon. I was going to ask you about that because it it's different from the other titles that you have listed there, uh, which includes the All That Glitters. And yes. he's called the Candy Caper because he leaves a piece of candy for objects he steals. Yeah. So how did you come up with that? Because to me, this seems like a this seems like a blending of newspaper experience shifting into the more fictional settings of a book. Right, because because the two journal the the two journalists that are in there that feel like they want to get the big story. Um, so this was actually a short story I wrote in college, and it was a prompt for an assignment. It was I don't remember specifically what it was, but I think it had to do with someone famous or infamous. So I decided to do like a superhero in reverse, someone who was actually a criminal, but. I mean, is it really all that bad? Uh, so that this one sort of became like an urban fantasy. And then it was once upon a time, I just kind of went through some of my old writings that I did. And I looked at this one and said, I could probably expand this and turn this into a full length novel. And I did that. And it is out. It came out with a, with a small publisher at the time it was called New Leaf Books. That's great. I mean, how does it feel to have something that you created in school as a short story 
then become part of your adult experience and a catalyst for later fictional work. It's it's kind of amusing, you know, because you're like, I just I just wrote this for class and I, you know, you get critiqued and graded on it, which I don't even remember what I what I got for it when I turned it in. Not like it matters because it was submitted for publication and got accepted and of course edited and it just became something new at that point. And I think that came with every other project that I worked on. It's like you 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 go from turning something in for academic to turning something in for publication. Those are completely different things. You're not being graded on something. It's just going out into the world. And it's still out there, which is fantastic. In <laughs> fact, it kind of led you to having your submission spotlighted in other anthology books to include mm -hmm. an anthology of horror and dark fiction in 2016 Yes. Deja Vu in 2017 and Carnival of Fear in 2018. Yes. That's, how did that start? Oh, that was with another publisher called Limitless Publishing. And so I actually had some titles with them for a while and they did some anthologies that I signed up for and I did. And then later I kind of just broke away from them, decided I want to do some more on my own. And so that's when my novel collection kind of grew. It is now published on Amazon. So I got my rights back and I said, this is my project. This is my baby and I'm taking it. Wow. So does it feel different to be part of a collection of horror writers than it does to be your own individual? It's it's rewarding in both ways. It's it's so nice to be a part of anthologies with other writers because it lets you connect more. It lets you network with others. The writers as a whole are individual people. You know, it's a very solitary vocation. We do our work and then we send it out into the world. And meeting with other writers and doing projects together is a lot of fun because you're meeting all these well-minded people. You're you're with all these people that have the same thought processes that you do. And so it's like you're collectively coming together to do what you do best. Okay. So you mentioned that you decided that you wanted to branch out on your own. What made you decide that? And was it scary to do that? In a way, I think like with some of the smaller publishers, they definitely help people who are trying to get started and, you know, get their foot in the door, so to speak. But when you have a growing collection that you want it to go a little bit further than what you're given, I think then that's the time to go solo. And it's an, it's an individual-based decision. I've got this collection that I have just on my own while I'm working on some brand new ones that I want to set out into the world and see if it gets a bigger home. Okay. So do you tend to work on one project at a time or are you kind of bouncing between multiple uh, projects based on inspirations? Exactly. Um, I actually started two brand new, completely different series. And I've got the first book finished in one and I'm working on the first book in another. So you were right about inspire, inspiration and working on whatever inspires you. So like I'll work on one and then move on to the next, or sometimes I'll hit a wall at both and just want to take a break, but you really don't know what's going to inspire you at any given point. I think that's why people kind of multitask and have a couple different projects on the back burner. Well, you're prominently, you're working on a series of young adults slash horror books that you have entitled, and I know I'm going to butcher pronouncing this, uh, Semir Yuriznin? Semir Yuriznin. Thank you, because I did recognize that it's it's basically translated that backwards is, as nursery rhymes. Yes, 
It's nursery rhymes backwards. Yeah, but I did not figure out how to pronounce it. It's no, it's it's fine. It's really not meant to be pronounced at all. It's just meant to be meant to be seen. And I came up with that because just the, that's how the stories are. I think of them as twisted nursery rhymes. And so they're backward stories. And so I came up with the logo of the block letters that you see in nurseries. And I had them, I had them printed so that they were literally backwards. So people could hold, you know, the book up to a mirror and they could see what it actually says. You know, it's, I really wanted to have like a, like a really creepy, cool red rum effect. Definitely. That does fit into that red rum uh, effect that it has. Now, these are reimagined classic nursery rhymes, but in a darker tone. Do you come up with the nursery rhyme or does the dark tone come first? I think it's a combination of both. Some are retellings, but some are just completely original stories. Like, as we know, nursery rhymes are very, very short. Some of them only have a couple lines. And so the, this project was me saying that I wanted to explore what was going on between the lines. So, for example, My Soul to Keep uh, is a paranormal story. And that one is based on the Lord's Prayer. You know, the how I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep that one. So those lines suggest something that's very spiritual, very powerful. And so I went with a paranormal story for that one about a cult on a boarding school campus that is being haunted and the main character wants to learn more about the ghosts. Okay. So you you came up with the the prayer first and then you just decided to look into the backstory and what it meant to uh, other surrounding characters? Yeah. So like I said, um, the ones that have short lines and don't really have a story to them, I created the story, but others are retellings. So the my, the best example of this is The Lamb Was Sure to Go. And this one is a, is a retelling of Mary Had a Little Lamb. And mm-hmm. it is Mary Had a Little Lamb as the Antichrist. So it basically is like the omen. And Mary and her lamb are, you know, spawns of the devil, and they're out to do his bidding. And the lamb is kind of like her her little hell beast. He does all the dark work for her, and she just communicates to him telepathically. Yeah, that it definitely was a darker version of that nursery rhyme. Now, your latest is Mice, which mm-hmm. I quickly picked up is the three blind mice, because the main heroes, uh, what is it, Magnus, Ignatius, Magnus. and Pestilence yep. are all three blind but psychic or fortune-telling mice that, uh, you know, are kind of helping out the main hero of the story. Can you tell us about how you came up with that idea? All right, so let's let's go back to anthologies for a minute. So okay. this one was also a short story that I expanded on. So there was a call a while back from someone independently publishing a fairy tales anthology, dark fairy tales. Now, I don't I didn't really have any ideas at the time, but I thought about it and I thought, well, I came up with something for Cinderella and I thought it would be fun to work with. So at the time, it was just a very basic, generic short story of Cinderella turning into a nasty scarecrow monster instead of a princess. And she goes out and wrecks havoc. Um, but then. What happened was I went over the word count for the anthology and I made it too long and the editor at the time made me cut it down. And I just remember being very like mad about that, like going, no, no, I want it to be more. There's so much more happening here. So I cut it down for the short story for the anthology, which was published by um, um, 
Vampire Bites magazine, I believe is what it was called. And so I just kind of let that version just go the way it was. And I said to myself, okay, well, I'll just expand it on my own. I will turn this into a book on its own. And that's what I did. So I just took that, you know, very short short version of it. And then I wrote some notes on it and I expanded it into a full length novel about, I think, 80,000 words. Wow. So, yeah, I guess I never gave it much thought. That must really hurt when you're forced to shorten your story uh, based upon the editor or an anthology like that. Mm-hmm. Gothic Bites. Okay. I remembered it. It was Gothic Bites magazine, I believe. I want to make sure I got that right. I understand. So, what did, what parts did you have to cut? And I'm, I'm assuming they came back into the story as well as much more, correct? Yeah. So in the short story, the mice weren't a part of it. That actually came later because I like the story so much. I'm like, well, I want to fit it in with my collection. So I'm like, how about I do a little mashup? How about I see if I could connect this with a classic nursery rhyme? And the, the, the mice just jumped out at me and said, this is the most obvious one. Of course, Cinderella would have mice, but she is going to have three mice and they're going to be the blind mice, but I want them to be like soothsayers. I want them to kind of have some sort of dark magic element there because that's what a dark version of Cinderella would be. So in this case, she goes to a curio shop and she finds the mice there. Now, another thing too about Cinderella that is in kind of canon I've seen in various various versions is that she could talk to animals. So I made my Cinderella have that ability to talk to animals because then these mice would be like her familiars. They would be her, her companions. So when she meets them, she could talk to them and she understands who they are and what they are. So one mouse, Magnus, can show the past and another mouse, Ignatius, can show the president, present and then the other mouse, Pestilence, can show the future. And so the book, the story is the three blind mice telling the story in those visions. So the reader is, is seeing the visions the same time that the main character is. Okay. Now, The Little Dog Laughed was one of your first horror genre uh, solo books. Is it part of the Nursery Rhyme collection? It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to what I said about um, reading between the lines, Little Dog Laughed actually comes from Hey Diddle Diddle, believe it oh, or not. It makes okay. sense. I promise. It's no, something no. that's so small and significant in there, and it, it makes perfect sense, I promise. And I'll explain it. So in Hey Diddle Diddle, we have, you know, the cat and the fiddle, and we have the little dog laughed. And those two things, the cat and the dog, are stuffed animals that belong to a little boy who is raised in solitude. And through them, it's like he develops alter ego personalities, like, you know, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. The cat with the fiddle is the good side is like his conscious saying, no, don't do that. That's bad. And then little dog is the devil on one shoulder saying, yeah, yeah, that's bad. Let's do that. And so we see this throughout the story. We see this dynamic pull of the cat and the dog, his stuffed animals that he pretends are talking to him or he thinks are talking to him. And eventually that little dog, that bad side uh, comes and takes over. So that's the premise of that. Okay. Well, you also left out a key detail that this is all based on a a family of vampires yes so so uh, go ahead yeah this little so this little boy isaac 
is actually raised to be vampire food. Wow. And his his mother, who is not a very good person at all, I, I should add that this is based on Flowers in the Attic, inspired by Flowers in the Attic. So Felicity, the mother, is very much based on Corinne, the mother from Flowers in the Attic, who is just completely consumed by wealth and greed. And that's what happens with Felicity. So vampirism here is a lot like that. It's a metaphor. It completely consumes her and her life, where she puts herself and her status first and her family, her son, last. So she marries into this family, not only because they're they're filthy rich, but she accepts that they're vampires and it just, it doesn't bother her, but she is absolutely terrified of them finding out that she had a child at a young age. She was 16. So she marries into the family and she hides her son upstairs in a, in a hidden room. She bribes a servant to look after him, all the while she's trying to figure out how to A, tell the family, and 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 B, what to do ultimately. So everything changes when she learns that he has a very rare blood type that the family craves, that they that they want. And so she raises him as a food source. So she comes up with a comes up with a, a resolution for him after all. And of course, the way he's raised, he he grows up that way. And he when he grows up, his 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 hard demeaning side comes out a lot more here. You know, the aggressive side comes out just the way he's raised. Wow. So okay, so you have a combination of nursery rhymes, of flowers in the attic, uh, journalism background. Are you? I take it you'd spend a lot of time reading as well as writing. Am I correct? Yeah, all all writers are readers, even if we don't have all the time in the world to do it. We still do it. It's still a huge part of it. You're not and a writer if you're not a reader. Is horror your favorite genre of, of books? It is now. It is now. It wasn't before, though. Before, I would just read just about anything. Generic fiction. Uh, science fiction and fantasy. Of course, I still read science fiction and fantasy. But I think I started in more into horror when I craved it more because it's not something you see a whole lot of. So really, it's like the challenge. It's like, I want I want something to scare me. I want something different. I want a story that is going to get under my skin and stay there because those are the stories that I want to write. So those are the, always, always the stories I look to to go read. Okay. So then your character development is also based on this desire to be scared and to create something that's not permanently out there, such as your scarecrow from Mice, uh, who's kind of a terrifying, honestly, a very terrifying character. But in deep down, he's kind of the hero because he's like protecting an even darker magic, correct? The scarecrow is actually Cinderella. That's what I get that into. now that you've yeah now that you've uh, gave me the backstory of it it definitely yeah, fits spoiler alert but <laughs> I'm pretty sure people will know that um but yeah so I I made Cinderella as this nasty scarecrow monster that breathes fire yeah. because what in, this is actually based on the original Brothers Grimm Cinderella she doesn't have a fairy godmother she in fact goes to a magical tree that is said to have her mother's spirit in it. But in my version, it's not her mother's spirit. It's just a spirit that is able to grant her wishes. Uh, but the magic tree wants something in return. It wants a live blood sacrifice. So she goes through some trouble to get that. And she asks to be turned into a princess. And the tree claims to be not, doesn't have enough. 
It's like, no, I want more sacrifices. So it turns her into its version of a princess. And I made the costume look like the classic Cinderella ball gown outfit. Um, it was like a, um, a plaid blue dress and uh, patched up holes. And I made a, a petticoat out of straw. So I wanted it to look like the classic Cinderella, but I want to be a little unsettling. Like um, she looks sweet, but she's not. She looks, looks a little distorted and strange. So that's where that came from. And also her name is based on the original Brothers Grimm. Her name in the original is actually Aschenputtel. So it's German. And Aschenputtel translates to one who cleans the ashes. So that's why I incorporated the whole fire breathing thing because she will burn her victims and then drink up their ashes. So there we go. She drinks them up. <laughs> well, yeah, you can definitely see the research aspect of your life coming into these. You've put a lot of thought and a lot of uh, logical manipulations into these stories. That's great. I had a lot now, of fun with these. I I get that because, I mean, I read Mice, but yeah, now talking to you, I'm getting a lot more out of it than I picked up from first reading it. I guess your books have that quality where you have to read it and then you have to read it a second time to pick up on the details, the uh, Easter eggs or the hidden uh, portions that you aren't going to notice during the first time, which is. Yeah, if you've read one. the Brothers Grimm version, I, I did have some Easter eggs in there, like uh, about the, the stepsisters, um, how they would cut off parts of their feet to try to fit into the shoe or slipper. Well, in this version, of course, it's her old boot. And in this version, actually, the, the whole slipper thing is actually referring to um, evidence left at the scene of the crime. Because Cinderella, uh, Aschenputtel, um, you know, finds a victim and she, you know, does with him what she would do. And there's evidence left behind and the shoe was left behind. And so basically uh, the royal horsemen are going around the king's guards. They're going around with the shoe that they found at the scene of the crime because it's evidence. And they're trying to find the person that matches it. So that's where that that's where there comes to play. That's how I, I kind of pay homage to the classic there. Very well done. Now, you mentioned you had created a Cinderella slash Scarecrow costume. I had the opportunity to first meet you when you were promoting this book. And the costume yes. the costume <laughs> you walked around in was definitely unique. And it was a great way to promote the book. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anyone else having this way of attracting attention. How did you come up with this idea? Well, I'm a haunted house actor. So I have a background in costuming and characters, and I was always coming up with my own backstory for characters in a haunt and coming up with my own costumes. And this is something you just kind of, you know, put together for the season for the attraction. And I would go to conventions anyway, and I used to dress up as characters I loved, like video game and movie characters. And so while I was promoting the haunted house one time, I dressed as a haunted house character and was handing out flyers promoting the haunted house, I instantly thought to myself, well, I could do this for my books. I could dress as my characters and have people see this and hopefully it'll generate interest to want to read the story if they see something interesting enough. And sure enough, it worked. And here I am. Yeah, I've seen pictures on your Facebook and on your website showing some of your previous costumes. You cosplay each of your books. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, I've uh, got at least one from each so yeah, far. I saw the one from uh, 
the lamb is sure to follow. Sure to yeah. go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you even come in with your own lamb, your own demon spawned lamb. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so how does it feel cosplaying your creations? I love it. I, it's so fun. And, you know, if you're doing something that you know, people sort of recognize, but don't, I think Mary and the Lamb are the most iconic. I mean, people see that, they see the two, they know what it is. And so that's going to prompt some interest. So that's where the flyers definitely come in handy. Um, some of them where they don't know what it is right away is going to be a little challenging. Like when I did Isaac from Little Dog Laugh, the boy, um, I have actually a dog face that I made out of felt that I wear with a onesie. So basically that means that at one point, Isaac ripped off the stuffed dog face when that part of him became dominant and he wore it as his own and he claimed it was his face. So it's it's interesting enough, it's strange enough. I still get questions on it, but it's not something people look at and they go, oh, because they know what it is, you know? So that's kind of why Nursery Rhymes is kind of a cool theme to play around with because I could do characters that seem iconic and they'll know right away what it is. So that was the only one that was a little bit challenging. I mean, the Scarecrow for Ashenputtel, I think, is is has been very effective because I made the Scarecrow outfit look like Cinderella's ball gown. So I've actually had people come up to me and say, wait, you look like Cinderella. And it's like, yes, yes, you got it. So I guess that only means I, I did it right. And, you know, was able to kind of convey that properly the way I wanted it to. It's a lot easier with characters that are more well-known, but for original characters, it's like you got to put a little bit more effort into it and just be in character a lot more and say things to people that would generate interest. Like if I run around as Isaac and I want to make it clear that I'm out for blood and I want blood and like, what is wrong with you? And that's like, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> right. Now, a lot of writers, you know, they to them in their minds the characters are alive now when you're cosplaying you're not a, the characters aren't just alive in your mind they're alive physically uh, i guess that can be pretty intense for you doesn't it oh it's a lot of fun i sometimes have way too much fun doing that especially when characters are kids people think i'm a kid which i could you know it it happens i'm four feet tall so of course i could get away with that better than others all right. So That's when you're, uh, as you're writing your next books, are you already envisioning the cosplay costumes? Yes, I am. <laughs> I've already like gone on Joanne Fabrics to look at various things. I mean, it's it's helpful. It's helpful really because you want to plan ahead, of course. It's like, well, okay, what is this character going to look like? I'm describing them right now, but I'm trying to envision what they would look like physically and when I get to that point and how I'm going to make them. And it actually helps the process along quite a bit. Okay. Now, Halloween is a very busy time for you, including not only just your books and your writing, but you also work as a scare actor for Haunted Houses during the spooky season. Mm -hmm. Does this help with your book ideas? And do the book ideas help with the uh, scare acting? Sometimes they do. Yeah. I mean, it, it really depends on it. I do also a lot of events in October as well, like conventions and whatnot, and, you know, some signings down the line and little haunts here and there. And I think every year I try to just plan to have fun and do as much as I can. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up your book signing. Um, I was looking on your website and at the date of this recording tomorrow, you have a book signing uh, scheduled. Is that correct? 
Well, actually, due to the hurricane, it is now um, long, no longer happening. I'm sorry, Nicole ruined so many things. Yeah, yeah, they actually the the, the Prometheus shop actually closed this week, and uh, so that we're gonna have to put, we're gonna have to reschedule that one. I completely forgot about it. It was on my website. I should probably go take that down. But thank you for telling me. Oh no, I I was like, yeah, I was kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't know about it, so I could have done this earlier and promoted it. But how does it feel to actually meet the readers and your fans? I like that a lot because it's like people get the chance to see, you know, the the creator behind the creation. And I mean, you know, the saying it, it, it's it's with sales. It, it, it happens with sales a lot. And people don't buy products or services. They buy people. So I really like doing book signings and conventions and events where I get to meet readers and talk to them a little bit, ask them, what do you like to read? And based on their answers, if it fits with my work, I will gladly share my work with them. And they're always excited, too, to meet someone that has created something that they like. So I'll get people that say, you know, oh, I don't really like horror, but I mean, I like fantasy. I like dark fantasy. And then I've given them mice. They've read the back and they go, oh, well, I could I could do this. This is this is kind of neat. I like this. And I've had people just look at the backs of books and and tell me, well, I don't know. And then they'll look at another one and go, oh, I like this one better. So I guess it really varies, but it's it's great for me to be able to connect with readers that way. And it's great for them to be able to connect with an author that way. Do you find that they have a lot of questions for you? Sometimes, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I guess it just varies when you're at conventions and events. It's just one big networking thing. I mean, people are all over the place, you're going to meet all different kinds of people. And it's it's a very welcoming situation. It's a very welcoming community to be able to do that. So you said that horror has become a favorite of yours for reading. Any favorite books? Um, I have been, I've become a fan uh, along the years, of course, of Stephen King. Um, but Neil Gaiman, I have to mention. But I also want to say Ruth Ware. She is actually an Irish thriller author and so her books are more on no, nothing supernatural or magical involved but it's all like thriller and crime um, my favorite thing about her specifically is that she surprises me most books I could predict I'll, I'll pick up and I'll read it and I know exactly how it's going to end but her no my favorite my favorite authors my favorite books are the ones that surprise me where I, I don't see this coming I have no idea what's happening and I just I love it. I love how I'm able to be hoodwinked like that. And I hope to do the same in mine too. And it really depends on the story. Uh, sometimes I want the readers to know exactly what's happening. Other times I don't. Okay. So do you have any future goals or hopes for your books? Well, like I mentioned, I'm working on two brand new series, uh, completely separate. And I'm not sure which one is going to happen first. Um, I do have more ideas for one that I do for the other, but I know that if the other one happens first, then I'll just probably get on it and try to think of, try, try to think of what to do for the sequel. But I've, I could tell you right now that I have a series that I'm working on that is, that is a horror series, and I'm thinking it's going to be four books with a prequel. And I've been researching traditional Halloween traditions. That's all I could say. Well, good. At least we got a little like, teaser for the next uh, horror stories. Yeah, like ancient Halloween traditions. Okay. 
So mm-hmm. back to the old pagan history or even farther back? Perhaps a little bit further back. I call Whoa. it inspiration. Mm-hmm. I call it inspiration. Okay. Now, have you ever imagined any of your stories being picked up for the big screen or even uh, Shutter or other types of broadcasting? I've actually had a movie producer once upon a time express interest, but you know how different, oh, yeah. pro- different projects um, come into play. It's always like a priority type thing. I did send a paperback to someone interested about maybe two, three years ago, but I mean, life happens. I'm not going to email them and be like, Hey, are you going to make my book a movie? I'd much rather that be something that they eventually find and come to me about. Um, but yes. <laughs> Well, I figured with the way that you cosplay and bring the characters to life for our audiences that having a complete production, you know, with the settings and the environments and all of that would be a dream come true for any of your books. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, for people interested in these amazing books, they can be found on Amazon as she is now self-publishing. But for the latest news of projects and images of her cosplay, I suggest you visit her Facebook page at author Jackie Sonnenberg or Instagrams at Sonnenbooks. There's also a website, www.jackiesonnenberg.com. Links will be available in the show notes. Sure did. Thank you for uh, the plugs and especially in Instagram too, because that's a different one than Facebook. I'm glad you mentioned that one. And yes, all titles are available on Amazon. They are ebook and paperback. You can find them all there. Outstanding. Well, I think that it's now time to reread Mice and come out of the mist. I want to thank Jackie Sonnenberg for being our guest today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll come again next week on our next Within the Mist. But until then, watch out for what talking mice say and remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in.